Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have a really cool guest today, Seth Dillon, the CEO of the Babylon Bee. And the Babylon Bee is uh, an online publication that I, I read, and they're hilarious. You know, they've got just great satire, a lot of it political. I was an avid reader of The Onion for probably 20 years, which was, you know, somewhat similar. And uh, The Onion seems to have fallen off in recent years, and the Babylon Bee is rising. And I just think it's awesome, and I'm I'm so excited to speak to Seth. So, Seth, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, tell me, um, how did you get into the position you're in? Like, what's what's your history? Were you always, uh, you know, a jokester, or what? You know, what's your background? <laughs> I was. I mean, I I got a you know, I had a personal interest in, in satire and comedy. I mean, I loved, uh, I loved satirical, you know, I loved like sketch comedy and, and satirical cultural comedy, like what South Park was doing and, and what the Simpsons was very good at, um, especially in their earlier years. So that had a lot of influence on me, but I know I didn't do it professionally. You know, I was, a, I was a writer, uh, but not professionally. So I enjoyed writing satire and tinkering with it and playing around with it, but not I wasn't making my living doing that, but the bee, when the bee popped up, man, it was just like this breath of fresh air where where satire was being done from a different perspective. And it it really, I think, filled a void where you had a lot of Christians in particular, but conservatives more generally who were underserved in that area. You know, they weren't there. There wasn't a lot of quality comedy that was that wasn't cheesy being Mm. fed, being fed to them. So the Babylon Bee took off like crazy. People were sharing it with me a lot. I was a big fan of it and had a lot of interest in it. I got involved just by reaching out to the guy that was running it and telling him, you know, I wanted to invest in it if I could. Um, at the time, you know, I was an internet entrepreneur. I had several different businesses that I was managing. I wasn't looking at, at taking on the business itself to run it. I was really just looking as at, from the outside as as a passive investor for an opportunity. And uh, and he wanted to sell it. We ended up working out a deal, which was great. 
Um, it wasn't what I was looking for initially, but I have no regrets. I mean, I love to be. Okay. So how long have you been the CEO of the Babylon Bee? Uh, since early 2018. So uh, three, going on three and a half years. Okay. And then, you know, unfortunately you're at the, uh, the head of the ship, you know, at a very difficult time. But, you know, from your perspective, your vantage point, I know that you guys have been attacked for satire, which is, you know, very sad and various pundits trying to say it's not satire, it's, it's fake news and all this stuff. What is it? What was it like when you first started and what's it been like, you know, let's say over the past year or six months? Well, these issues, the issues that you bring up about us being like attacked, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's not a direct attack. It's kind of an indirect attack. You know, they're trying to, uh, well, in some cases, it's a direct attack. We've had a few, we've had a few personalities say that, that we're pretending to be a satire outlet. We don't, our motives are actually to mislead people. Um, but we use the the guise of satire to do that. Um, and that's how, you know, obviously we're able to get around Facebook's rules against misinformation. It's not really misinformation. It's a joke, you know, but it really is a joke. Yeah. That's the whole point is it really is a joke. And uh, and that's just, you know, kind of a baseless assertion that's that's coming from a place where, you know, people on the left have since I got involved have been really irked and bothered by the success, the effectiveness of our humor. You know, ridicule is a powerful thing. There's a reason why uh, tyrannical governments and dictators hate being ridiculed. They don't allow satire. There's a reason why voices that do that effectively are often silenced um, because it is effective. You know, humor, humor can be super effective in making people look, people who are hypocrites or, or, you know, just, just have bad ideas. You know, you can, rather than arguing with them or or trying to write like a scholarly paper on why they're wrong just cracking a joke about them and making them the butt of a joke can be so much more effective in getting people to see why their position is absurd or why it's it's morally evil or something like that so mm. uh, you know that's really i think the key driver of it and that's been a problem ever since i got involved it has it has escalated some it's got you know there's been more there's like the New York Times recently um, has started writing pieces about us suggesting, actually saying explicitly that we're a far right misinformation site that traffics in misinformation. Um, and we got a retraction from them on that, which was good. But, you know, that's they're a mainstream paper that's that's read by millions of people. Um, the original story gets a lot more traction than the retraction, as everybody knows. So, you know, it's a big deal that we're getting attacked like that. But I, I say when I, when people ask me about that, well, how do you handle these attacks? How does that make you feel? You know, does it, are you worried? Whatever. I, I think it's, I think it's a, a good sign. It means that we're being effective. If we weren't mm. being attacked and if the New York Times liked us, I think that would be problematic. What have you noticed about uh, the audience? I mean, is it, you, you said, it, you know, I guess it started as uh, Christians and then it's more conservatives. Like, do you get a lot of feedback from the people that get your material and, and what do they say? There's kind of a common misperception out there that the website like launched as like a church satire site and then became like this conservative Trump loving Republican platform. That's not really what happened. The site launched kind of on day one, making fun of Obama. And and, you know, uh, it was very political right out the gate. And Adam Ford, the guy that founded it, you know, he's he's had to come out several times and, uh, and say, you know, you guys are wrong. The site, it's not like it was never political. It was always political. And it certainly wasn't pro-Trump all, all the way through. It was critical of Trump. I mean, he, we wrote about Trump more than anybody else. And, and, and some of the stuff is pretty vicious looking back at it. So uh, there's, there's common misperceptions like that. A lot of people, when I took over, really 
they didn't like that the site changed hands and everybody looks for, you know, reason to be upset about something. Everybody wants to be upset about something, right? So a lot of people tried to say that the site changed a lot when I took over, but I, I mean, I left creativity in the hands of the creative people. I, I wasn't really driving. I've never driven the content side of things. I'm driving the business side of things. So, you know, this, this idea that, that the site has changed a lot over the, over the years, is just kind of unfounded. But yeah, the audience, I mean, look, we hear the way satire works is almost anything that you publish is going to upset somebody. So, you know, we upset our audience all the time. But I think one of the healthy things about satire, one of the ways that kind of keeps us in check is when you can kind of turn the spotlight on yourself or put, you know, throw your own, your own issues up on the wall with a projector and look at them and, and say, hey, are we okay with this? People who are willing to do that and laugh at themselves and maybe think about their own positions tend to really enjoy our stuff long term. People who don't like to be made fun of or be the butt of the joke or, or have to engage in any of that introspection tend to get offended and quit. So, and they'll, and they'll move yeah. on. I'll send us angry emails. So we get a lot of hate mail from people uh, all over the place on the political spectrum, left, right, middle, and in between. So, but that's just the nature of the beast, right? And uh, it means we're yeah. doing our job effectively. I think that everybody's mad at us. Yeah. The first article I ever saw was about this. Uh, well, I thought it was a real article actually when I saw it. It was like this church pastor in nevada and he couldn't hold church so he put vending machines in the chapel and then he said tithing increased because of the vending machines and they were able to open because of a loophole in nevada law and i swear i thought it was a real yeah i thought that's a good idea it's sad but yeah that's a really yeah it is yeah it is sad though isn't it but that's that's what it had gotten to so i i you know again a few times i literally thought the articles are real and i looked closer and i was like wait a minute okay okay before we continue I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from $10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. That's good satire though. You know, that's a, it's a common criticism that when some, when a story is believable, that means we're misleading people and it, and it shouldn't be that way. Well, think about that for a second. Like let's, let's stop and think about that. If, If jokes have to be, you know, satirical comedy, like news satire, which is a legitimate enterprise, if those stories have to be so absurd that no one could possibly believe that they were true, then then they're not going to be funny. They're not going to they're not going to make a point. They're just going to come out of nowhere. And you're going to wonder why was this written when when a satirical story is actually believable? That's an indictment of whoever you're satirizing. It means that the person that you're satirizing their behavior, their actions, their words have been such in the past that one could see them doing this thing that you've just made up, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. So, it's plausible. So that's, yep. that's, it's pl- the plausibility of it is an indictment of whoever you're satirizing. It's not an indictment of satire. So that's an, that's an important point to make because that is really probably one of the most common criticisms leveled at us from the left is that, is that we are, um, you know, we're, we're, people are believing our stories and sharing them as if they're true. Well, you know, that's, 
What, what, what does that really mean? I think it means that we're onto something. It means that there's truth to the points that we're making. It doesn't mean that we're deliberately deceiving people. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, if you can't laugh, I mean, I see the Babylon Bee too as a mental refuge. It has been for me for the past year and a half with all this stuff going on. You know, if you can't laugh, if you can't get a little bit of lightheartedness, then what's left? The eternal drumbeat of the negative mainstream media telling you to be afraid and you're going to die. I mean, so thank you for what you guys do. I mean, it's been a real light in the darkness, you know, and I think it has for a lot of people. Levity is important. Levity is important, especially in dark times. Yeah, for sure. I think it's, it's, you know, but it's healthy for a couple of reasons. Like, like I said before, I think it's, it's important to be able to laugh at yourself. Everybody takes themselves so seriously uh, in the, in the present day. Everybody's so anxious to be a victim. They're so eager to be a victim and to be offended by something and to have someone apologize to them and to whine and cry about how upset they are by something, you know, there's this really weird thing where that's that's like that's how you score points. That's virtue points. And and the, the, there seems to be a competition in our society where people are trying to score the most virtue points. And and it's just, you know, it, it's un, it's unhealthy. It's unhealthy mentality. And I think that people, if they can actually break out of that and and be willing to laugh and be willing to say, hey, look, you know, offensive jokes there's a, it's easier to defend offensive jokes, which might make somebody uncomfortable than it is to defend silencing the comedians who make them. I think that's more problematic than the offensive jokes themselves. Um, yeah. But, you know, the younger generations don't really see that. Have, have, uh, have you guys reached out to any, you know, big time or local comedians or national comedians to, I, I don't know how this would work, but, you know, for them to do an addition branded under you or you to partner with them somehow, because, it seems like I would, I would think that comedy everywhere is being attacked. You know, I know Joe Rogan has spoken about it. He speaks to a lot of comedians, and he is one. What do you see in general as a satire industry? Like, what, what's happening? If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. We have looked for opportunities to collaborate with people. There are some other people out there doing some good comedy. Satire is kind of its own unique thing, especially like news satire. So there aren't, there aren't a lot of comedians really in that space you know they may be making jokes they may make some satirical videos every now and then and you got some good people out there that are making funny stuff you know i think like for example ryan long has made some really funny stuff he did he did a video i discovered him when he made one i think it was last year sometime about a woke guy and a racist guy and how they they just agree on absolutely everything you know like from from how skin color is the most important thing about you on from there, you know, like they, they both agreed on everything. And it was a powerful point that was being made there. And it was made in a really funny way. And it was a simple video. It was just two guys on the street with like a camera following them around while they dialogued with each other. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, stuff like that is very effective. It was shared millions of times. It exposed the absurdity and the, and the, and the pure racism behind woke insanity. And so, you know, it's great. It's great that there's a lot of that happening. There's a little bit of a renaissance, I think, happening on the right with comedy like that. Um, these mm-hmm. these people aren't. Ryan Long is not a Christian comedian. As far as I know, he's an atheist from Canada. But mm-hmm. he, he's, he sees the absurdity for what it is, and he's mocking it. He's ridiculing it. I think that's great. I think I think that the left is creating a huge opportunity for people to make the jokes you're not supposed to make because they're silencing themselves. They've created this environment where every comedian is is that defers to the powers that be is walking on eggshells and they're afraid to offend somebody. And so the comedians who are willing to flout that social pressure to not say the wrong thing, they're going to thrive because people are eager to laugh at real jokes. Yeah. Yeah. No, they are. 
I remember that you had one uh, Biden visits on the border, you know, the restaurant wonders what the fuss is about. There's one other yeah. is like the, the U.S. water polo team drowns because they kneel at the Olympics or something. <laughs> yeah, all, the, all the articles are really good. So what, what media, how do people consume the bee? I mean, I get it by email, but I, I saw at one point you guys have a podcast and like, what are the different ways in which people run into your material? Well, I'll tell you, it used to be Facebook. We used to drive all our traffic through Facebook, but Facebook has squashed us. If you look at our stats now compared to how they were when our audience was a fraction of its current size, we reached way more people. Um, Facebook is throttling and limiting our reach in horrible, dishonest ways. They won't be transparent with us about it. They deny that they're doing it. When we ask them about it, they say, oh, your page has no violations. And we're like, well, that's not what we asked. We asked, is our reach being throttled? unrelated to violations and they won't answer those questions. So it used to be Facebook. Um, that's not the best way to engage with us now because we don't have great reach there. But I think email is great because we cut out the middlemen um, and we can send our content directly to you without you having to, you know, hope that it shows up in your feed on, on Twitter or Facebook. Um, but we have a million followers on Instagram, a million followers on Twitter, a million followers on Facebook. Uh, we're also on all of the other, you know, second tier social platforms. And we have our own app in iOS and Android. So there's a lot of ways to get access to our content. And so what have you noticed? Do people just like kind of browse the articles that come out every day? Or do you have uh, ways to engage more deeply? And then there are different tracks to what you guys offer. Well, there are ways to get engage more deeply. I mean, if you become a subscriber, then we have a headline forum where you can actually pitch ideas. We have this other site called Not the Bee, which is actually absurd real news stories. It's not actually satire. And uh, and that has like a social network on the back end of it. So you can post your thoughts and dialogue with people and mention them and post pictures. It's full social network. So there's a lot of ways to engage on our sites and, and go a little bit deeper. Um, subscribers can comment underneath the articles and stuff like that. But I think you know, the headline forum is cool because you can actually creatively collaborate with our writing staff, which is kind of fun. So so people like that. Yeah, I remember The Onion, I wanted to write for them, but they had this big disclaimer, we won't accept anything and we'll just throw it away. And I'm like, come on, guys. You know, not only you could be funny, maybe other people can too. Right, so that's really right. cool that you let, let people do that. That's that's great. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So yeah, just I know you got to go very soon. What do you sense has been the impact of the bee, you know, over the past, let's say, even the past year and a half? Like, do you have any feedback from listeners or like, what have you seen, you know, the, some of the large trends with what you do or how you're affecting communities? Well, I mean, for one thing, we want to embolden people. One of the, I, there's a couple of ways to gauge success, right? We've grown dramatically in terms of our traffic and our reach, and that's great. It means that we're making more money. It means that we're able to grow and hire more people. All of that is good. Um, I think the impact that we have is another way of gauging that, you know, just the feedback that we get from people who are appreciating the levity that we're bringing to things, the absurdity that's going on in the world, you know, like being able to laugh, but also, you know, speaking truth to culture on some really thorny issues that, that you're not really supposed to talk about. You know, we do that too, very boldly and hopefully embolden other people. Um, but I think another measure of success is the attacks themselves. I mean, it, it, like I said, I think it's a sign that we're doing something effective if, if, uh, if people are coming after us and trying to shut us up, especially the most powerful people in media. So, you know, it's, um, there's a, there's a, a handful of things that I would look at to try to to try to gauge you know what what kind of impact we're having and what kind of success we're having. But you know ultimately at the end of the day we want to make people laugh and we want to make them think 
And the goal, the mission from my perspective is to ridicule bad ideas. That's as succinctly as I can put it. We want to ridicule bad ideas wherever we find them uh, before they can take root in the minds and hearts of young people uh, and poison their brains and souls. Mm. So ridiculing those bad ideas is, is really the mission. Um, so, you know, I think it's a, are we saving lives? No, but it's, I still think it's a noble effort and we're having fun in the process. Yeah. And I, and like I said, on the mental front, I, I bet you've, uh, again, made millions of people's days better, better enough that they're not, uh, you know, they haven't gotten to a point where they're just going to, I don't know. I mean, I'm just saying like, for me, it's just mentally, it's been a, a big boost. So I think that's probably the best effect you've had on a lot of people is if they can laugh once in a day amidst all the negative stuff, then their day is better. Hey, I just got a message today, uh, earlier today on Instagram from somebody who said he's going through a dark time, but we keep him laughing. So he wants us to keep it up. So, I mean, stuff like that, you know, for every person who sends a message like that, you know, there's other people feeling things like that or thinking things like that and not voicing it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that means a lot. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be millions of people who are affected that way for it to be meaningful. Yeah. Oh, excellent. All right. So last question or so, um, what, what's the future plans for the bee? Can you say them? Or um, what new things are coming that people may be interested in? Uh, we have some potential things coming down the road that I can't talk openly about. But I mean, one of our one of the main things that we're trying to do is expand the way that we deliver content. If anyone has been following us closely, they'll see that we've started to post a lot of videos on our YouTube channel. We didn't we never had a YouTube channel up until the last year. So video is a new thing for us. We're doing animations, we're doing short sketches, we're doing mockumentaries, we're doing music videos, we're doing a bunch of silly stuff. And the quality of it is improving over time. So uh, keep an eye on that. We'll continue to, to go down that road and and, uh, and do more media. Okay, very good. And uh, where can people uh, find the beads? Do they just Google it? Or like, what's the best way to, to you know get on your list and start getting the content? Yeah, go to BabylonBee.com. Get on the email list for sure. Um, click on the newsletter link and enter your email. Sign up. That's, that is really the best way to connect directly with us. Okay. BabylonBee.com. That's it. So Babylon B and also not the B people can look that up too, right? Oh yeah. Not the B is so much fun, man. I got to check out not the B it's, it's all the absurd stories that should be satire, but somehow are not. Well, very good. Well, Seth, thank you so much for coming and uh, thank you for what you do. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.